It's like deja vu all over again. And that's how I feel today. <laughs> With uh, doing both, and I actually appreciate the opportunity to, to preach and to teach. Uh, uh, I appreciate Pastor John and the elders allowing me and asking me to do this. Uh, um, but boy, I tell you what, it's a lot. And then when he said, when he said, hey, do you want to preach? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I would like to, actually. It's been about, it's been a year, and uh, I, I enjoy it, and um, I'd like to do it. And then, uh, you know, and then I'm driving along, you know, and I go, I wonder if I'm doing worship that day. So doing the both, again, is a, is a it's a lot of, I'm looking forward to my nap. It's very hard not to, it's, it's very hard to concentrate right now, knowing that the nap is coming uh, in a bit. So... But in the time that we were, and like I said, this is for free, but this is important. In the time that we were without a teaching pastor, I learned a lot uh, about, uh, well, a lot of things, and I realized a lot, and it's this. Preaching and teaching God's word is intense. And uh, it's a huge responsibility to proclaim God's word uh, to the church and to, and to others. And, and I don't know what Saturday night is like in your home, um, I can tell you in this past year, my family more than once has like uh, said, oh, it's Saturday night and we're relaxed. They've said that, you know, and, and me, myself, I was like, like, especially on the days where I'm not leading worship, I'm like, I don't have any responsibilities except to encourage and do what God calls us to do as we come together as a church. And it feels free and it feels good. And so I say this because it's so intense, and at least for me, there was always this countdown clock that started somewhere around Friday night, really. And then it moved into Saturday, and then the buzzer sounded at like 9.30 on Sunday morning, and you gotta go, you preach, pray, or die. <laughs> That's your only options. And so, so I bring this up, don't neglect. Don't neglect to pray for your pastors. Pray for our Sunday school teachers. You know, teachers, I, I love you because I know you are spending time preparing and getting ready to teach the children and you take it seriously, so thank you. But church, pray for those who serve on Sunday mornings. Pray for your worship leaders. Pray for the greeters, our worship teams, our nursery workers. And I th I, I'm thinking this, let's be a church that bathes everything that goes on on Sunday mornings in prayer. This is it, folks. Do you know, some, for some of you, this may be really what you get all week. Now, I would encourage you to get in God's word, but this is it. And so we got to be on, on point. By the grace of God, let's take church very, very seriously, but not this somber seriousness. And, and if that ever happens, I'm just going to be really just kind of disappointed if we become that church. I have to be honest but where we come to joyful, joyfully come together and celebrate the grace of God, but we do it with this intense reverence, with intense joy, with an intense purpose of seeing Christ glorified. Church should not be neglected because we need to be praying that the glory of Christ would be on display in our gathering together. Pray that God would be at work in all our lives as God's word is proclaimed and as we preach to one another through singing together. And pray that as we listen to God's word, that it would be with this purpose that we would be moved to obedience and committing to God and to one another to do what God's word asks us to do.
You know, I was thinking too, as, as the kids were coming out, I was just, I was kind of struck, I have to admit. You know, my kids are, believe it or not, in like September, we're going to have just Katie. It's like, whoa. It's like, Karen and I are going to have to learn to talk to each other again. And uh, you think I'm joking? No, I'm just uh, there's, you know, it's kids, 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 kids. They drive me here, drive me there. And, uh, but I remember Sunday morning was like sometimes the most intense hour getting ready for church when the ones are little. I remember sometimes like with the intensity, we'd almost like have this cloud of like despair over us driving to church. And we're like, why are we even showing up? I'm like, that's why we're showing up because we're a mess. And we need Jesus. And so let's be in prayer for one another. Just felt led to say that. Because it's an intense thing. A few minutes ago, we read our text together. And and I've titled today's sermon, Listening and Living. And in reality, I I entitled it Listening and Living because I didn't want to use the heading that's probably in 99% of your Bibles right now, which would say, Hearing and Doing the Word. You know, I think I'm right, right? So I'm good with synonyms when I need to be. But listening and living and hearing and doing. James here in this text is starting to move from his introduction really in chapter one. And in that introduction, he he hits a few things. He's addressing the church, but primarily it says here that he's addressing the Jews that have been, the 12 tribes that have been dispersed abroad due to persecution, due to the Romans, due to just what was happening in the world at the time, there was this dispersion. And James says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance or steadfastness, and let steadfastness or endurance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, James here is saying, he's encouraging the church in their trials to count them joy, to, be ma- to remain steadfast, to hold firm. And then he's about to move in and he writes these five chapters of tremendous instruction. And he tells us this in the text that we're in right this. Don't just listen and discuss and debate and know God's word. He's saying, live out God's word. Do it. Our faith is proved by how we live. Our actions, our words, and our deeds, they prove our faith. Proper theology and desire to interpret God's word accurately accurately is absolutely 100% important. Don't, Don't ever hear when we're instructed to do God's word, that we're saying neglect the other part. No, they're, they're, they go hand in hand. We must have precise theology, but we also must not just leave it to that. We need to do what God says. James is saying how we live is the fruit of good theology. Faith and doctrine move us to action. The Christian life is this. It's knowing the gospel, believing the gospel, and living the gospel for all of our days. We know it and we live it. It's an action. And if we fail to live and apply the word of God to our everyday lives, and if it doesn't move us to love in both word and deed, word and action, we have a dead and useless faith. So let's look at our text. Listening and living. Read verses 19 through 21. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man 
does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James here is saying this, know this. Know it. Understand, realize this, grasp it. Let every person be quick to hear or to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, quick to hear. Now, we all know that the scripture is full of commands and proverbs that it's wise to often and most of the times keep our mouths closed. Not to be harsh, not to give a quick opinion of somebody. And we know that James has a whole lot more to say about the tongue in chapter three. But in the context of our passage here, remember we're talking about the word of God and our response to it. We need to be quick to listen. Do you come to Sunday mornings ready for the word of God? Are you excited to hear? Are you quick to hear? Friends, God speaks to us through his word. So let's be quick to hear. And you look at this context. Look at verse 18 right before this. We didn't read it in our, in our passage, but it says this. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, right in there, you know these little headings and such weren't there in the original writings. James just moves on. Know this then. My beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear. You can't get away from this passage, this centrality of the word of God. So he says, know this, be quick to hear. Listen. We're going to talk about being doers of the word in, in verse 22, but all of us know, and when we see this, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I think all of us, including myself, know someone, including myself, who needs to hear a message that they need to keep their mouth shut. But that's not the context here. Again, Proverbs 10, 19, where there are many words, sin is unavoidable. We know this, but again, the word of God is central in this passage. The question today is then how do we, you and I, how do we respond to the word of God? And the first instruction here is to listen. Pay attention. Focus. Put aside distraction. We must be people who long for the word of God, who hunger and thirst for it. Do you know that the word of God, this is our life. How does a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to the word of God. Why do you think the longest psalm in scripture, in the Psalms, is about the word of God? Because it's our instruction, it's our life. It res it's our rescue from sin. It reveals the truth of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And God has given us the word of God, which is alive and active. And it speaks, and it speaks loudly, doesn't it? Listen to God's word. This is why church and gathering together is so important. God is speaking to us through his word. Quick to hear. Are we ready to listen? Slow to speak. Again, in this context of our passage, and in the book of James, and some commentators I read this week think this also, 
I think this, this James is writing to some people who were too, too ready to speak. Possibly even too ready or too eager to teach before they should. Look at chapter 3. James does not really beat around the bush here. This is a pretty serious passage in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. <laughs> For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. You know how comforting that is this morning? <laughs> you laugh. And I know I said that with a bit of humor because that's a weakness of mine. This need to be funny. He's a funny guy. Yeah. Thank you. Slow to speak. You see, too many people who are not ready were acting as teachers. Not many of you should become teachers. Slow to speak. I have a saying that I use from time to time, and I actually apply it to myself, and the saying is this, never doubting but seldom correct. Or some who just really can't wait to hear the sound of their voice. I'll confess, I fall into that. I got something to say. When you bring God's word, at least when you're reading the scriptures, you're bringing the God-breathed word of God. That's huge, and I really feel like sitting down right now. It's humbling. You need to handle it with care. It's to be handled humbly and fearfully. People have asked me, are you scared to preach and teach God's word? And the answer is yes. But I'll tell you this, when I was young, I wasn't scared enough. You see, the church needs teachers and preachers, right? God calls men to do that. God calls, calls us. He calls out and he gives us teachers And we need teachers and preachers of God's word, but the church also needs leaders who will come alongside the young and teach them when to speak and when not to speak. Not to rush them into a position of greater judgment. That's why in Timothy it says, don't put a new convert into a position of leadership. You know, that's not to be mean. Man, that's gracious. It's gracious to say to somebody, wait. It's not very gracious to say no, never, and push them aside and don't train them and don't disciple them. Let them, let them act upon the, the calling that God has given them and, the, and their desire to move in that way. That's great, but boy, we should not rush people. We do a disservice to people because there is a strictness to it. So slow to speak. You know, also in James, I, I think this is what James is saying Look at uh, chapter four. There seems to be this issue. It says, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Let's not be too quick. Let God work in his perfect timing to raise those up who will bring God's word to us. Slow to anger. 
in the context of receiving God's word, we're called to be quick to hear, to listen, slow to speak, and now slow to anger. Now, I don't want to raise, I don't want people raising their hands in a time of confession here. But I want to ask you a question for internal, internal chewing, I guess. Internal thought. Has God's word ever made you angry? We hold on to what we believe to be right pretty, pretty strongly, don't we? Maybe it's just me. But we don't like confrontation. Sometimes, sometimes we have sin in our lives. And a brother or a sister will come up and say to us and say, hey, have you noticed this? Now, in Galatians also it says, restore one with gentleness. Right? So that you do. So be careful in your confrontation of people's sin. There's, there's really a good way and a bad way to do it. The good way is with gentleness, humility, and not, here's a hint. I hate you when you do this. That's wrong. All right? That's not right. Yelling is usually not a good idea. But there is a place for a brother or sister to come and confront. But we don't like it. Sometimes we'll fight back. Years ago, you remember when food, filled illustration, I apologize. They come up a lot because I like food. But years ago, you remember Sizzler? I know. Who? What? Sizzler goes way back, and like in the 80s, Sizzler had the salad bar, right? And on Sunday afternoon after church, people went to Sizzler because it had a salad bar. And uh, you got this little horrible steak in the salad bar. And, and, uh, but it'd be a popular place to go. And, and one, my dad, too much, I know, story time, I'm sorry. My dad would always buy the Sunday paper. My parents were out of town, and uh, I needed a Sunday paper after Sizzler because... In the old days, the TV guide was in the paper, believe it or not, all right? We didn't have phones, there was no internet, and we barely had a remote control for the TV. But if you wanted to know what was on, you got the Sunday paper and like, you would get the TV guide and you'd plan it out. And I think maybe we had a VCR by then, which were these cassettes that you put in there <laughs> and you put it in and you would record. My parents were out of town, and I went out with some friends and ate lunch. Well, I had to get a paper, so I put my, I don't remember what the cost was, but I put three to four quarters into the machine, the paper machine, to get a paper. I'm there with church friends. So I open it up, I open the lid, and I grab my paper, and then a friend, like, quick as lightning, never seen him move so fast in my life, comes in and, boom, grabs another paper. And I look at him, I go, well, I put my paper back and close the door. He goes, what are you doing? I said, well, I put in money for one paper, so one of us is stealing if we both do that, and it's not going to be me. And I'm going to protect you from stealing, so I put the paper back. Can you give me 75 cents so I can get a paper? Oh, you would have thought that I was like the worst human being in the world. And probably in my youth, I was probably 18, 19 years old, I probably called him a thief, or something like that. It probably wasn't done with grace, but I said, it's stealing to take two papers when you put in the money for one. It's the honor system, and you have no honor. Thou shall not steal. Any questions? Did he give you the I don't remember. I'm old. No, you know what? No, I don't think he did. I think I had to go home because that was like all I had and I had to go to the 7-Eleven, which was good because then I got Slurpee. But, 
Sorry, youth pastor stuff comes out. You just can't help it. But I put in the coinage for one. I said, that's stealing. He was hot. He was very, very upset with me that I said that's stealing and that's sin. He did not like that. But to me, it was black and white. See, thou shalt not steal, and its application brought hostility when I proclaimed it. God's word makes people angry sometimes. And by the way, it's not just the world. Yeah, we've witnessed the friends, or we might say something that's biblical truth, and you get hostility from the world. In fact, it says, what? Don't be surprised. He's uh, Peter. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is about to come among you. We get persecuted for proclaiming the truth. Uh, also in Peter, it says, don't worry about being persecuted for doing what's right and proclaiming what's right, but don't be persecuted as, as an evildoer. So, Ron's paraphrase. But here's the thing. When we proclaim God's word, people can get angry. But great anger often flows when disagreement arrives when it comes from the teaching of God's word or the application of God's word to the church. The church can explode when people's preconceived notions of God's word or its application go against what they believe to be true. And it gets ugly. Anger should not be the quick reaction. I got to tell you this, and this makes me sad. I've worked secular and church jobs most, most of my life, sometimes at the, mostly at the same time. I had a full-time occupation and part-time ministry. There's less hostile anger in the world. By far. Now, maybe that's just my own experience. And there's unique things that God just does to us to produce endurance in our lives. And I'm not perfect. Sometimes I deserve everything I get. But in our response to God's word, we should be quick to hear, long for the word of God, slow to speak, and then receive, as we're going to see just in a moment, receive with meekness, with gentleness, the implanted word of God. Don't fight the word of God. You know, really, most of the time, what God tells us to do is not a huge mystery. It's pretty black and white. The mysteries of the church often are like great doctrines and, 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 you know, but blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love your neighbor. It's kind of black and white. Hear God's word. And in response, be slow to anger. Receive God's word humbly and graciously. And so we see then our heart, the heart condition that we need for a proper response to God's word. It is a heart that's ready to receive God's word with meekness. Verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Remember Ephesians chapter four when we were there, I don't know, a year or something ago? Put away, throw away. Take away the filthiness and the rampant wickedness. 
In Ephesians 4, it says that we are told, and we're told there to put off the old self and put on the new self. Get rid of something, put on the new. And we put off the old, which is filthy and wicked. In Ephesians, it said to put away falsehood. Well, put away means throw it out. Toss it. And this is the same language being used in our text today. Toss out the dirty old clothes. Put away filthiness and rampant wickedness. Quit living two lives. Don't be, as I said earlier, don't be that double-minded man who's unstable in all his ways. You can't have the wickedness and the holiness of God at the same time. Put them away. If you want to hold on to wickedness and filthiness, it is going to be an absolute barrier to the word of God impacting your life. They're going to be at war. So put away that which is filthy. So instead of wickedness and filth, receive the word of God with humbleness and gentleness. Apart from Christ's death and resurrection, we're unclean and wicked, right? But the gospel, the good news of life in Jesus Christ, Christ, receive it with humility and meekness, and it's able to save our souls. Salvation comes from the word of God. Receive it and take it. Humble yourself to the reality that you're indeed wicked and dirty. Be washed by the word of God. Some of you have heard a little bit of my testimony, but I've been in church since before I was born. But I remember clearly at 17, almost 18 years old. <coughs> no, excuse me, 16, almost 17 years old. Sitting in a message that I was not really paying attention to. But during that message, God hit me that you are not a good church kid. You're a mess. And I had learned to do what the Christian school wanted me to do. I had learned to do enough to keep the parents happy. I had learned to do all the little lists that a good Christian kid does. Yet God in his grace and his infinite mercy, thankfully told me, Ron, you need my grace. You cannot earn your salvation. You're a mess. Humble yourselves. That takes humility, doesn't it? Don't we really want to say that we're good? Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, a barrier that you have right now is you think you're good with God because you're not Hitler. You're great on a curve. I'll find someone. I'm not a murderer. I'm not this. I'm not this. Yeah, but what about them? That's not the standard. The standard is this. Yeah, but what about God? He is holy and you are not. And it takes humility to bow your knee before the cross where God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us he made us alive in Christ confess your sins humble yourself to the gospel be washed by the word verses 22 through 25 but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. 
be doers. Action, not hearers only. Now, I'm going to give an opinion, of course, and if I could put a graphic up here, I'd probably have a little scrolling, flashing lights. Ron's opinion, Ron's opinion, okay? You could disagree with this, and, and we're going to be fine. I, no, maybe. I'll, I'll argue with you a little bit. But it is an opinion. And it won't speak for every scenario in church life or even maybe your own Christian life. But I will say this. I think sometimes, and if I'm stepping on toes, uh, I'm sorry, maybe. I sometimes think those of us who hold to a more reformed or Calvinistic doctrine of salvation, and I'm probably just speaking with myself, but can sometimes struggle with this reality that we're called to action. We're called to do something. And you say, well, what? Why, why is there this struggle? Well, because we believe and we hold to what the scripture, I believe the scripture teaches accurately and clearly is that we did not deserve our salvation. We did not earn our salvation. We are not saved by anything that we have done. Salvation is, and hear this very, very clearly, salvation is 100% an act of God by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. Ephesians, if we did something to earn our salvation, if we had even the smallest of work, we could boast. And the scripture says you cannot boast. And so we got to turn there. Can you believe this? Ephesians 2. Surprise, surprise. I don't think we should ever tire of turning to Ephesians 2, by the way. Man, if we didn't have Ephesians 2, I think I'd be heartbroken. I would be. Because we'd be in our sins. Ephesians 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. We have to remember this, friends. Dead. Dead is dead. Following the course of this world. This is an awful path. Following the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. That's Satan. And the spirit that is now at work. Even now, there is a spirit at work in the sons of disobedience. And that was us before Christ. Look, verse 3, it doesn't leave anybody out of this. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Those of you who know Christ, do you remember this day? Don't forget it because it magnifies the grace of God. We don't go back there to wallow and, 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 and stay, stay there in this pity. <clears throat> Instead, we glorify Christ because we were once dead in our sins and we were once living <clears throat> in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Look, by nature, by nature, I am hungry. By nature, I want a nap later. By nature, I need to sleep at night. I didn't have to be taught to get hungry. And so by nature, we were born in sin. All of us. It's not a good situation. And we were by nature children of wrath. 
It breaks my heart when churches, even today, I can't remember which song, it was. oh, Jesus, thank you. The wrath of God was satisfied. Don't neglect that we were under the wrath of God. And read the scriptures. God's wrath is a serious thing. And this is where every single one who was born under Adam, because Adam sinned, we're under the wrath of God. But then we have the greatest words in all of scripture, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, what did he do? He made us alive. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why, why that? Why? So that this purpose in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one would boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I am thankful for the gracious work of God in my life that he took me dead man and raised me to life through Jesus Christ. But this being said, I think sometimes, and I have struggled with this from time to time, Knowing what we know, that there was no works that saved us, knowing that we cannot boast, sometimes I think we can fall into a lazy faith. God did 100% of the work for my salvation. He'll do 100% of everything else. Let go, let God. By the way, there's truth to that. Do you know that? God does all of it. Romans 8.30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And for those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God is at the center of it all. He is the power in all of this. God's full work of salvation, our justification, being declared righteous, our sanctification, becoming conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, becoming more Christ-like in our daily deeds and our actions, and our glorification, which will come in heaven when we're completely made new, is 100% God's work. But don't ever forget this, and I think this is the key. Our salvation was from death to life. We're now alive. Alive people do things. Dead people do nothing. Dead people rot. They assume the temperature of wherever's around them, and they rot, and they decay. Alive people, what do we do? We live, we breathe, we move, we walk, we run. We eat, we sleep, we exercise, we go to work, we get married, we become parents, we become grandparents. Life is action. Life is doing So how lame is it for a Christian just to go to church, hear some facts about God, and then act like it's no big deal? We're alive in Christ. And alive people move. And they do. And so if we're alive in Christ, by his grace, here's the thing. Becoming alive in Christ and by his grace for the first time, by grace, We have the ability and the responsibility to be doers of the word of God. What you could never do in your deadness, what you could never do in the flesh, you now can do by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within you. When Christ died and rose again, uh, rose again from the grave, the Spirit moves in us, and we have that same power moving within us, so we're doers. 
We move and we work. You've been unchained. You've been given liberty to really, really live. It was for freedom Christ died, so don't be a subject again to a yoke of slavery. You're free. For the first time, you can bring glory to God by the grace of God. Why do you think the word says, don't quench the spirit? Because you can fight against it still. This flesh, this residue, there's still a battle. But the battle is won in Christ and you can win every time by the grace of God. Be a doer, be alive. And what is it that we do? The church, God's people, they do good works. Not to earn salvation, but to prove salvation. It's evidence. God is at work with me because I'm different. We just read that in Ephesians 2. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them. This is how we live. God's word reveals to us what we're able to now do in Christ. Being doers of the word allows us to live an amazing radical life. We're now called out to be distinctively different in a world that's dead and dying. We bring life. We proclaim Christ. We're now called to reveal the love of Christ to the world. You can't read the word of God without coming to the truth that we're called to action, can you? We're called to be doers. We're called to love, to forgive, to make disciples of all nations, to teach others to do all that he commanded. We're commissioned to go, to be doers. We get to be different. When the world says, hey, you need to act this way to one person, we say, no, we act this way. We love our neighbor. Yeah, I I didn't write this down. This week was interesting. My daughter, Emily, my middle, she uh, is going to San Jose City this, this semester. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I get to have her in the car with me. And uh, my phone rang, and hands-free, hands-free. And I answered it, and uh, it was my friend of mine. Won't give him his name, and uh, asked me some insurance questions. I've known him. He was actually a client of mine in floor covering also. And then he was kind enough to to move his business over uh, insurance-wise with me. And I appreciated that. And he called and was asking some questions, hung up. And Emily goes, Dad, he's kind. He likes you. I could tell that I think he really loves you. I said, yeah, I, I love him too. He's a really good friend. He's a close, close friend, and he's been kind to me for about 20 years in, in business. And then I said something to her. I said he's Muslim. And I want him to know Jesus so bad. And it breaks my heart when people say, throw him out of our country. Not all of us. I know this is a radical statement, and I know that there's a threat of terrorism. But you know what? They're our neighbor right now. They're here. Show them the love of God and let the politicians do what they do. Let's be the church. And I had to teach my daughter. I said, I love him. But right now, he does not know Jesus. We need to think differently than the world. I don't know. On Sunday night, ask Pastor John how politics and church works. I'm very confused on it at the moment, all right? So don't, that's for them. 
But I do know this, love your neighbor. Whoever they are. Look at this illustration. Oh, I'm running out of time. This illustration, we need to be doers. Do what God's word says. How many of you looked in the mirror this morning? Why do you look in a mirror? See if you look all right. Exactly. <laughs> Fix the problems, right? <laughs> Bedhead. Anything in my teeth, right? A mirror is there to make sure we're properly put together. Me, I, oh, confession time. I shave in the shower without a mirror. Do you know how many times like you leave nice, nice, because I hate shaving. You leave, leave a nice patch somewhere and then you look and you're like, oh man, you loser. Look at that. Like everyone's going to look at you all day. And so then we fix it. This is what James is saying. Be doers of the word. If anyone's just a hearer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror and he looks at himself and goes away and forgets what he was like. This is the mirror to our heart, to our lives. This, God speaks to us and says, Ron, you're messed up. Look intently at this and do what I tell you to do. Fix the issues. And isn't God so kind to give us this so we're not left by ourselves in our own opinion or someone else's opinion? We go here and we say, let this be the mirror to show me how I'm to live. And I'm going to do what it says. What a great illustration. God's word reveals to us and hear and listen and do what it says. God has saved us to live lives as doers. And the preaching and the teaching, your time in God's word that you have in your own time, it's not just to give us facts and figures. It's not to be a better arguer or to win arguments on theology. Theology is good. I feel like I always have to say that. Every time I say something like that, it's like this guilt comes up to me. If you love theology, fantastic. I do too. But I like it when it moves us to action. And you notice it says, receive this with meekness and gentleness. Let's have a gentle, humble orthodoxy. Where we say, this is what we believe and we don't shrink back from it. And we want to discuss, but we want to show you what God's word says. And we love. And we allow God's word to guide us and direct us. God tells us what to do in his word. He tells us how to live lives which bring glory to Christ. And he reveals it in his word. We're saved to a life that actively obeys God's word, and we need to do what he tells us to do. You know, we all have different lives. We run into different people. We have different challenges. Each of us in here has a unique story and a unique specific application to how God's word needs to change their lives. But I want to leave us today with a very broad application, and one that if we choose to follow it and to do it, it's going to bring us lives of continual opportunity as individuals and as a church to be doers of God's word. And it's in these verses, Matthew chapter 22, 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Be doers, love God, love others. Go to the word, let it reveal how you're to live your life and what God says to do by his grace, do it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. What a gift. Lord, I thank you that we're not left wondering, we're not left without a guide. But you have given us everything in your word pertaining to life and godliness. We thank you for the gift you have given us of Jesus Christ, revealed in your word. And Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives within us, that guides and directs us and reveals Christ to us. Oh, Father, may we be people of your word, not in a way that just becomes academic, but Father, may this really be a church. May we be a people, may as individuals and, and collectively as Grace Bible Church, may we be those who obey your word, who dig into your word for the purpose of fulfilling and doing what you have called us to do. And Father, we would pray that you would allow our influence to grow, that we would see the lost hearing the gospel. And Lord, that you would work mightily in revealing yourself to them, that we would see salvation come to Hollister, California. Lord, move within us. May we be those who do and act upon what you've called us to do. Thank you for this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.